Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm Jared Dean Sexton. Nick Houseman, you are back. We are happy to have you. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm great. The weather is nice here, finally. We're getting a little 70-degree weather, and uh, it's it's a great time. I Actually, it's remarkable how, and we're all going to go through this, right, pretty soon. The whole country is going to have an awakening in the spring, and uh, it really does lighten lighten the load a little bit. I got to say, in the age of QAnon, don't talk about that we're all going to go through an awakening. That's a, <laughs> that, 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 that makes the hackles raise a little bit. Forgive me. Forgive me. Well, we have a jam-packed show. Listen, we got to talk about happenings out in the corporate world. We have to talk about Ron DeSantis eating pudding with his bare hands. I, I, it, it's upsetting. We got to talk about, speaking of upsetting, one of the worst Trump rallies that I have ever seen. We're going to go abroad and talk about popular movements. And as a special surprise, Nick, uh, we have a guest coming on later. You, 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 you want to fill the people in on, uh, on this world-debuting guest that we've got absolutely well my son moses is in town for uh, spring break he's actually in high school so he's uh, he's coming in town from a from a boarding school and uh this guy's got uh, he's got some some takes he's got some spicy takes that he wants to discuss and uh i thought of no better outlet than to have him come on the podcast and talk a little bit about cultural marxism from a from a 15 year old's perspective i think it'll be really interesting we are excited about this. I, I cannot wait to get to that. But before we get to Moses and cultural Marxism, and by the way, smart, smart kid, exactly on the target with this thing, we have to go to Israel. And Nick, in Israel, uh, over the past couple of days, we have seen um, some really, really amazing things happening. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, um, who, by the way, uh, I don't know if people know this, is still under indictment uh, for two separate crimes uh, and, and could possibly be pleading guilty to fraud, um, has created a far-right government. And in creating that far-right coalition government, they are now attempting to run roughshod over the judicial system. Uh, this, by the way, would be terrible for minorities. This was going to cause an incredible amount of problems and possibly even uh, give Netanyahu and his allies more power. Um, this has not been met well. Uh, he fired the defense minister, uh, Yoav Gallant, who uh, said that this was a terrible idea, joined a lot of other people. Nick, uh, the Israeli people did not take kindly to this situation. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people went out into the streets. Uh, they have threatened a national strike. We've seen universities and schools shut down. We've seen people engaging in solidarity. And by the way, Netanyahu today has announced, and we're recording this on Monday, March 27th, that he is going to go ahead. He's not going to go forward with the judicial reforms, and they're going to revisit the issue later. Nick, what are your reactions to this? Some pretty amazing scenes out of uh, Israel. Yeah. I mean, we don't often see such huge protests there. And part of the reason is because the government has been pretty liberal uh, this entire time and has been a communist based government where they want to, you know, they, they, they walk the walk generally, at least if you're an Israeli. Um, and what's interesting about this, what's making the headlines, I think most of all would be what Netanyahu is trying to do to uh, castrate the Supreme Court and allow the Knesset to override any of their, uh, uh, their decisions and that not make them binding. Um, you know, that, that is part of it, but this is the most conservative, I suppose is the word, uh, government they've ever had. 
And it's filled with all sorts of religious zealots uh, here that never would have gotten any kind of power and position in this government. And that is really concerning. So it is great to see that the the general population is really uh, not with this and does not want to support what they're trying to do. And that at the very least, I kind of sounds to me like Netanyahu is just kicking the can down the road at the moment and not necessarily backing down from anybody. But, um, you know, by the way, as dictators will do, right, they'll make it seem like, oh, yeah, I hear you. I won't do that, you know, today. And then, you know, they are our, our uh our focus goes on elsewhere. A few months later, we're not paying attention as much. And the next thing you know, they're able to push these things through. So it's extremely concerning. And if you're an Israeli, it's got to be, uh, you know, there is this notion that they're on the brink of a civil war and maybe even more so than how we feel in America. Yeah, this was one of those things where I, I, I think people who have uh, paid attention to Israel, they were sort of shocked a little bit by how quickly this happened. Right. Like uh, people getting out into the streets, uh, blockading major highways, setting fires. And by the way, like to be quite frank, this was a revolutionary situation. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk sometimes about what makes a revolution versus an insurrection. What is a failed revolution? All of these things. Um, the military, which, by the way, you know, so many of these military reservists who, uh, uh, you know, form the background uh, backbone of the Israeli army, um, they, they said, we're not going out there. We're, we're not going to deal with this thing. We're not going to enforce this stuff. That is when the scales start to tip. What happened over the past couple of days has been absolutely revolutionary in nature. And we saw such a massive pushback against this. I mean, we, we looked at the possibility of a national strike. We saw teachers, students, citizens, uh, businesses that just simply said, no, we're not going to deal with this. And you're exactly right. I think what is happening in Israel is very reflective. And of course, it has its own local and cultural demarcations, right? Like there, there's stuff that's happening in Israel that can't happen anywhere else. But it also reflects what's happening here and what's happening in a lot of other countries, you know, the, the supposed Western democracies. And what's going on here is this is a divide between people who want a secular government and a secular society, obviously allowing people to have their religions, right? Not wanting to stamp it out, but wanting to have a secular government and a secular society and people who see the opportunity to use religion for their own purposes. Netanyahu is a crook, an absolute crook and an authoritarian strongman and always has been. I mean, listen, we could talk all day about the fact that this overriding of the court could have possibly played into him trying to avoid um, his own legal repercussions. You know, there's there's a lot of Trump in this situation. And, and it's not a coincidence that these people, they always talk alike. They always look alike. They always have the same crimes, the same actions, the same tactics. What is happening here is that the people of Israel have recognized that they are in a moment of crisis. In America, this is the type of stuff that already should have happened. This, I mean, we, of course, we had the Black Lives Matter protest, one of the, the biggest uh, protests of all time. But we need something like this here if we're going to avoid larger consequences. And there are a ton of problems in Israel that you can only find in Israel. I mean, listen, you, you can't deny that. But this thing looks a lot like what we're dealing with here and what a lot of these Western democracies are dealing with. 
no question that Trump is looking at this as a blueprint for what he could do if he gets back into power and to neuter the Supreme Court. Now, the the, the thing that's different here, though, is that uh, the president appoints the Supreme Court here, and it's a little bit more of a uh, process in Israel. He's already kind of gotten control of the Supreme Court, if you will, right? He's sort of kind of circumvented that without having to, you know, to neuter them at all, because now they're going to vote in lockstep with them anyway. At least the majority will. So uh, that's not there's no question that that's a big part of it. But what's even more concerning for me is that the settlements has always been a thing where and if you don't know, it's Israelis will just sort of steal land from Palestinians and build you know, uh, neighborhoods there. And, 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 you know, these are generally like up, sometimes they're nicer upper scale areas where they just literally level the place that was there, take away land under the kind of almost like imminent domain. And it's really the chief cause of inflammation, if that's the right word, between Palestinians and Israelis. And the more you do it, the more strife, the more potential for violence you're going to have between these two groups. And so when you hear like racism thrown about in Israel, it's not necessarily out like it is here. It's about racism against Palestinians. And what a lot of these people in this new government want to do, and it's sort of their religious fervor as well as ultra-Orthodox people, they, they want to bring about this. They hope that the more settlements they build, the more strife that will um, ramp up between the two groups, and that maybe eventually the uh, army of the Israelis will be like forced to just wipe them out, right? That's sort of, I think, what their goal is. They might not do it sort of unimpeded and do it uh, without uh, you know being goaded into it first, but they're trying to almost lure that conflict so that they have to say, well, we have no choice. They're lobbing rockets. They're bombing us. They're blowing everything up. We need to now just what, you know, go in there and take it out completely and take over the entire all the land between the Mediterranean and uh, and um, the West Bank. And that would be, uh, you know, a, a humanitarian disaster, to say the least. Oh, and it already is. And that's one of the things here. Right. Is that Netanyahu, who, again, is is an absolute criminal and authoritarian. Him and a lot of the people around him have used these things in order to gain power and in order to push their agendas, which gives them not just more power, but more wealth and more affluence, right? That has always been what's at the heart of this. And it's like what's happening in the United States, where it's inflaming through fear mongering, conspiracy theories, religious ideology. It's using all of those things to create a tinderbox that at any moment is leading to incredible deaths and incredible suffering. And, and, and again, the humanitarian crisis that you're talking about. The whole point here, by the way, I, I agree with you that I think that this is going to kick the can down the road. I think Netanyahu, and we've seen him now for years. I mean, he has used this fear mongering for years to keep himself in power. This it, he, he maybe blinked today because he recognized that the coalition was starting to fall apart. And this is a tenuous coalition, right? That's the only way that he's in power. And it was starting to erode. Like we were looking at a governmental crisis, a leadership crisis in Israel, and it could have le- left him out of power again and, and vulnerable, by the way. Right. In this situation, maybe it is a kicking in the can down the road. We've seen him do, um, you know, basically never, ever budge on things. It feels like he'll probably uh, revisit this. But this is a win for the people of Israel. This is a win for the people who got out in the streets and they recognize that uh, solidarity and mass action. It actually gets stuff done. And I got to tell you, and and we got to go over to France as well. And we've been covering this story where Emmanuel Macron used uh, his powers as president in France to unilaterally uh, raise the retirement age. Guess what? People ain't thrilled. 
Uh, Macron right now has a 23% approval rating. Nick, can you can you check? Is that good? Is that is that no, a good approval great, rating? Bob. That's not, not great, great, Bob. And basically, the protests have continued. Uh, we've all seen, you know, these pictures and videos out of out of Paris of people dining while fires rage, and people are getting in these back and forths with the police. The police are getting more and more brutal. We're looking at trash strikes. We're looking at people going on national strikes. I mean, we're seeing things left and right that are getting ugly. Uh, Macron's cabinet has been meeting, talking about possibly trying to get this thing back on track. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen, um, but it does feel, again, like a people's movement is it's obvious that this thing is unpopular. It's obvious that people are starting to push back. And this situation feels like it's getting worse in France. And it also goes ahead and echoes what's happening in Israel, what's happening in Iran. It feels like we're entering into an era of of popular uprisings, does it not? Yeah. Well, I, I think that Macron was probably relying on the fact that people would just sort of get distracted. And, you know, they had their say, they got upset for a couple of days and then it kind of, you know, dissipates. And what he did is, is still there. Uh, perhaps this is the new normal where these things will sustain and will cause re- repercussions to these guys and their power where they will have to listen and adjust this thing. And again, you know, the, the French, the, the culturally, they get it. Uh, they yeah. get about how hard you should work and how hard you should be, part, you know, uh, not working. Uh, and those things are really important to them. Again, I had expressed a little sympathy towards the numbers, right? Like, I, I get it. In, in terms of the math, there are some c- concerns, especially even here with Social Security here. Like, at some point, we're going to have a problem covering those costs. And uh, and it felt like if you go far enough out, if you're 25 years old, and you know, in 40 years from now, you, you know, when you're 64, it's going to kick in. You, you probably might be OK with that. But clearly that isn't OK. Right. They're still not OK with that. And so uh, so I, you're going to have to do what politicians need to do is listen to the freaking people and then adjust your policies accordingly. Yeah. And, and it, this is one of those situations like as we reach this sort of late stage, God help us, late stage neoliberalism. There's no way to go ahead and square the circle unless you start spreading the pain around more, right? And there are conversations to have about retirement ages. There are conversations to have about all of this stuff, but you can't do it in a way where a technocrat like Emmanuel Macron is like, it, it is done, right? You, it doesn't work that way. The problem is that a technocracy says that that is how it has to work. You have to have people who are specialists that many of them that you will never know. You'll never have any sort of democratic accountability for. They're the ones who are going to decide these things. And you probably just need to stay at home and shut up. I will tell you, and and this was another thing that we have to add to this conversation. The National Assembly in France is currently pushing because the uh, the Olympics are coming to, to France in 2024, by the way. They are pushing a huge amount of money into investing for uh, uh, artificial intelligence helped security measures, including surveillance. Um, I get it. And, and by the way, if anybody is wondering, where do those things come from? Like, are they just being developed in country? No, they are not. They are being developed in China in, in, in handling the, the Uyghurs, right? This is the stuff that we're seeing in England. We're seeing in America. We're seeing in France. I got to tell you, if we are seeing an age of popular uprisings, Nick, there is a real possibility that these nation states who are carrying out the agendas of neoliberalism, which is going to spread that unpopular pain around, we're probably looking at more surveillance like this. And we're probably going to be seeing a lot of things 
that have been used around the world, including in China, including in the war on terror, whether or not that's AI surveillance, surveillance in general, uh, digital surveillance or drones, or I don't know, police robot dogs. Like we're looking at how that circle is going to get squared. Am I wrong? Well, Jerry, just behave and you have nothing to worry about. Yes, that's right. right. <laughs> that's that would be the thing that they're going to say. Now, here's the thing. Um, I don't have a lot of things in common with people who are Second Amendment zealots, I suppose we'll call them. Right. right. I don't have anything in common with them, but I think I do now because when you hear them talk about curtailing any kind of gun you know, access, they're always thinking, well, that's just the first step. And then it'll, you know, next thing you know, we won't have any guns. Well, this is the other idea, right? Once we begin the process of putting AI into these uh, cameras, now that's the beginning of a whole other mess of uh, civil rights violations. Right. Now, let, let's not forget, like, we have closed-circuit TV all across America now. They Certainly in London or England, they've had this for a while, too. You could you could track somebody all the way across, you know, the uh, town with no problem, right? All the ca- cameras can, can connect together. So obviously, though, the concern with that is you have a minority report feeling here, right? Where it, as soon as you walk into a store and it scans your eyeballs and it knows who you are and it knows where you're going, uh, that obviously is a problem because I certainly don't want people to know, you know, where I buy my clothes. That's an important thing that I like to guard. And so uh, at the very least, uh, how do we how will we ever, you know, uh, keep that under control? How, like, and who are you going to trust to make sure that it's not being abused? Right. It's not going to be Facebook and those people. It's not going to be TikTok and those people. And uh, meanwhile, yeah, if China is behind this whole thing and we've seen their, their violations, it's uh, I suppose the answer would have to be just we can't do it. It's bad. It's really, really bad and unsettling. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out another mass shooting today. Recording this Monday, March 27th, mass shooting at a school uh, in in Tennessee. Awful. But we're not going to get the guns. We're not going to get that figured out. We're not going to pass laws. But what what can we do? We'll go ahead and say, ah, we can't do anything about it. Let's get these surveillance systems in. Let's get these AI systems in. That's how we'll go ahead and do it. It is the argument to go ahead and, and allow these things to start coming in, including making our schools prisons and making every public place basically a prison where people can be surveilled. The problem is that when you start giving those things, when, when you start giving them room, they grow because that's what the nation state does. The nation state at some point or another looks at the people and a democratic mass as a danger. And we're starting to see that sort of grow. And on that note, we have to talk, Nick, about one of the most disturbing. And and listen, I've seen my fair share of Trump rallies. I've been to quite a few of them over the years. This rally this weekend, one of the most disturbing things that I have ever seen. Um, The 45th president, Donald Trump, fresh off of. By the way, have you heard how much money he's raised off of saying that he was going to get arrested? Have you heard this? Uh, you know, I, I'd heard early on it was it was millions, but I, what, what's the final number? Millions. Now? We're millions into this thing. Uh, still not indicted. Still not. Uh, still not arrested. Um, he he goes and he holds a rally in Waco, Texas. And I say the word Waco, and obviously everybody thinks about the Branch Davidian compound, the massacre there. Wouldn't you know it? This was during the 30-year anniversary of the siege in Waco, of course, which would lead to uh, 86 people dying in a fire and a standoff with uh, the ATF and FBI, which I have something to say about that in a second. Um, He gets up in front of this crowd 
And I got to tell you, this campaign has changed. Um, I want to I want to go ahead and have Nick play uh, a, a little clip from this rally so we can start talking about how this thing is starting to to shift in tone and tenor. And 2024 is the final battle. That's going to be the big one. If you put me back in the White House, their reign will be over and America will be a free nation once again. How do you feel about that, Nick? How how's, how's it feel listening to a cult leader, former president, refer to the final battle? Well, I, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in Texas, but I, I am familiar. I do reading. I read a lot about it and I get and I, re, I see the interviews and it, there is this we, we can establish there's an independent streak amongst Texans. Is that safe to say? I think that's safe to say. And they probably and there are probably a lot of Texans who really uh, look at Waco in a different way than a lot of the other parts of the country. Right. Um, and so and maybe even as a badge of honor, like that was a stand that people made because we're independent. And we don't want to have the government taking away anything. Right. So, um, you know, it, it is it, again, he, he keeps wanting to say, oh, I don't like violence. They asked him about this and he was quoted saying, I don't like violence, but we really need it because the election was stolen. Like, that's what he keeps saying. And uh, w- there is only one path this goes towards. Now, what what sure. scale of violence we're talking about? I can't quite predict, but uh, it doesn't seem like there's any other way to avoid it because of what they're saying, what the rhetoric is. And um, it just is frustrating. You heard the crowd respond. And that's really what's uh, what's not wasn't if it could have just been a little bit more muted. But it's like this is full throated, you know, uh, cheering on of what would ultimately be a civil war. Yeah, a a few things on this. Uh, First off, um, Trump has escalated his rhetoric. Uh, At one point, he reposted retruth, whatever you want to call it, a picture of himself holding a bat uh, next to Alvin Bragg, uh, the African-American DA, who, by the way, he's referred to as an animal and saying that he is carrying out the work of the devil. These are not accidental triggers. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't just him just having fun and being wild. Trump is a cornered rat. And cornered rats are desperate. And he is getting more and more desperate. It is not a coincidence that he went to Waco during the 30th anniversary of the siege in Waco. Quite frankly, Waco has become a a, a place to take a pilgrimage for white, uh, white supremacists, nationalists, domestic terrorists, militia members, you name it, right? Now, did Trump think of that? No. That's not how any of this works. There are people on his staff who are there to figure out what QAnon wants, what these separatists want, what Proud Boys, what white supremacists want. They absolutely made sure that he was going to make an appearance in Waco. It just so happens that the apocalyptic nature of what Trump is talking about, it corresponds with his level of desperation. I'm sorry, we've said it before. Is there a possibility that his pop- that his popularity will decline? Maybe, but guess what happens whenever a cult like reaches its 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 pinnacle? What happens is it starts off as a larger movement. All of a sudden, people say, "Oh, I don't care for this. This is weird." Suddenly, you get a real concentrated group of true believers who get together, and what happens? Terrible shit. By the way, Nick, um, can you can you play this? I don't know if people saw this. There's a song that has been put out. By Trump, and uh, they call themselves the Jan 6 Choir. Uh, it's called Justice for All. And I just want people to, I just want people to remember that 
this is some this is at a rally uh numbers estimated of 18,000 people in Waco, Texas, where a cult who followed a self-defined messiah went ahead and went down in flames with that self-defined messiah. I just want people to hear this and we're going to talk about this brand new tone and tenor that's being rolled out. cannot believe we're actually sharing this <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please rise and place your hand over your heart for the number one song on iTunes, Amazon, and the Billboard charts. Justice for All, featuring President Donald J. Trump and the J6 Choir. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. All right. I mean, it goes on. So for anybody out there listening who's like, oh, am I going crazy here? Let me go ahead and make sure that you know what just happened. The former president of the United States, Donald Trump, released a song with a group of men who tried to overthrow the election of 2020 and and tried to carry out an insurrection at the Capitol. They released a song called Justice for All in reference to, by the way, to their actions at the Capitol. And that song is that choir of insurrectionists singing the national anthem mixed with Donald Trump saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And they asked the people of the crowd to stand up and put their hands over their hearts as if this was the national anthem itself. There's a lot to break down here. But is this not one of the most disturbing, like, things you've seen in a while? Really? I mean... I mean, it's nothing sacred. You know, this is this is a you know, I don't like covers. Sometimes a band will do a cover of a song and you're like, this is not should not have been out. You know, they, you know, did uh, did we really need to have, um, you know, uh, I don't know. Anyway, the point being that uh, I'm trying to picture myself in that pitch meeting. We're like, you know, let's come up with a good uh, uh, let's take the national anthem. How can we what can we do with that? Oh, yeah. Let's let's cross cut in between that with Trump saying the, the Pledge of Allegiance. But then let's have these weird long pauses in between because we don't know how to edit. Like, I, I don't understand. This is edited. It's not him live doing it. Right. They're playing a, 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 an edited thing. But did you notice that? How awkward is that? That there's these big gaps in between where he if I were doing that in the movie, like you would have him overlap a little bit of his uh, his part of the Pledge of Allegiance with the national anthem. I, I listen. Am I actually giving them uh, help here? Am I trying to? Help I think them you're editing help? them, and I think oh. that's probably for the better. I think they're trying to make it dramatic. Nick, this is oh, no. weird. This is weird and really disturbing. This rally, by the way, has moved. And I want to make this clear. It has moved from elect me and I'll make America great again and your jobs will come back. It has gone from that to we are ready to enter the final battle against the deep state. And by the way, we're going to have our own anthem. You're going to see so much of this and so much of these crowds doing this. It is going to become a new Christian nationalist idea. It is really 
really becoming more and more warped by the day. And here's the thing. I followed this for years. I myself am shocked and I don't get shocked very much anymore. This is shocking. This is actually really surprising and disturbing. Um, I guess so. You hold the national anthem is is a sacred thing. It sounds like that that you shouldn't use. No, I don't listen. I do not find the national anthem to be sacred. But I got to tell you that they have blended this thing. It's one of the dumbest things I've seen. Mm-hmm. Also, real fast, I would be remiss if I didn't point out. I love that these people who hate culture have to point out it's the number one song on iTunes. It's the number one song on Amazon. It's the number one song on the Billboard charts. No, it's not. Shut right. up. And on top of that, that's so stupid and craven, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they, but everyone's going to believe it. That, that's the whole thing about this is that they understand that they could say anything, right? Anyway. Anything that's like that pumps anything. them up and makes them look good. And they're going to believe it. And they're going to go back and tell their friends about it. And it's going to spread. And that has always been the danger. It's not that these people like DeSantis and, and Ted Cruz, that they're idiots and that they're believing this stuff. No. It's that they are doing it to get votes, and but the danger is is that the people will uh, assimilate this information and take it as fact. Uh, and and we're we're so far gone, right? I don't know how you'd ever get these people back to believe in any kind of normal democracy after this. I don't either. And he is just priming them for some an, an incredibly tragic. And, and, and awful things. Um, at this rally, by the way, he uh, mimicked Ron DeSantis crying. And, and Nick, we talked about this. Uh, Pete Dominic and I did a little bit on the uh, the Weekender episode last week. Which, by the way, go to patreon.com slash podcast. Go and support the show. By the way, people who keep, uh, we're, we're starting to see a bunch of people who are starting to subscribe. They're pumped. They're like, I can't believe I haven't done this before. They're reaching out. They're like, my God, what have I been doing? Those are my Fridays. Why aren't you doing this on Friday? It's a great time. Anyway, he makes fun of DeSantis. And I wanted to talk to you about this because things have shifted a little bit in the past couple of weeks. Um, DeSantis uh, has has been absolutely sucking. And it's, it's been this really strange thing that has taken place. Uh, he's been out hawking his book, which has been sort of a shadow campaign. Already the reports from everywhere he goes are that his operation is a complete utter shit show. He's turning people off left and right. He's a disturbing person. Um, and people, uh, strategists who are around this campaign are already leaking stories to the press that he is, quote, out over his skis. Um Real fast, Nick, can you play this from the Pierce Morgan interview? Uh, this this rumored story, by the way, I don't know if you've heard it, that people are now reporting that Ron DeSantis uh, on a plane, I believe going to Washington, D.C., uh, ate pudding with his fingers. Have you ever eaten a chocolate pudding with three fingers? I don't remember ever doing that. <laughs> I'm telling you, maybe when I was a kid, but it's interesting you know, there's a lot of people when you're when they go at you, sometimes they have like really good ammunition, like you're a crook, you did this, you did that. For me, they're talking about pudding. Like, is that really the best you got? Okay, bring it on. But now you're not having puddings. No, no, no pudding. No way. It's sugar, man. Oh, Nick, have you can you answer right now? Have you ever eaten pudding with your three fingers? Uh, I do not like pudding, and no, I did not. But it does bring to mind a. Uh, did you know that I had a uh, local access TV show in college with, with my buddy of mine? We wrote. I like, did sketches. not. How's this going to get wrapped up into pudding? 
Well, let's just say there's a funny old joke that we filmed about pudding and, and having a dream about eating pudding and waking up. That's all I'm going to tell you. But nonetheless, yeah. so I've, I've been on camera eating pudding, but not with my fingers. And uh, I got to tell you, that was not a denial either, was it, Jerry? No, it wasn't. That's the <laughs> thing. Like, you have to come out and say, no, I've never eaten pudding with my fingers. I got to tell you, by the way, I, I think some of what's happening here, and I, I want to throw two things out and I want to hear your opinion. One, sometimes you kind of are the it thing in politics and people are like, this guy's the next president of the United States of America. And they start giving you a ton of money. And what do you do with that money? You start high. And by the way, it's before you can put out ads, right? Because you're not going to put out an ad that's like DeSantis 24. You haven't even declared. You use that money on staffers and strategists and communications experts. And sometimes that team gets so huge and they just start tripping over themselves left and right. And you don't, you don't have anything even approaching a direction. The second thing is, I, and I want to hear your opinion. This might be the reason why he can't beat Trump. They're already talking about recalibrating his campaign. Trump's never recalibrated. My God, if, can you imagine a, a meeting where Trump talks about recalibrating anything? This this feels weird. This stumbling block feels kind of big. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, th- there there was some, you know, when Bannon comes in, there's some recalibrating uh-huh. and they got rid of, uh, you know, uh, what's his face. So like they, we've seen a little bit, but but he never changed. But uh, it's so ridiculously early for all of this that I don't even know what to make of it, because, yeah, two weeks ago he had, a, you know, he was up 41, 27. Now he's down 41, 27. It's it'll go back. Uh, I'm sure he'll get more popular. But that said, right. the reason why he's gone down is because. Finally, Trump started to actually run a campaign and, and have these these uh, rallies. And if unless unless Trump's going to stop doing the rallies for like six straight months and then give him another opportunity. Right. Then then I don't know yeah, if he recovers from this, but it, it is early. And the, the, let's not forget, obviously, he's waiting for uh, Trump to get arrested and that he thinks <laughs> that that's going to help him. And I don't know if it will or not in a primary. If, if only there was a room with iron bars that Trump could go to for six months to stop the rallies and keep him out of debates. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I agree. I, you know, um, when I was talking with Pete Dominic, Dominic is just absolutely, he's decided there's no way whatsoever that DeSantis could, could win the nomination. In fact, by the way, he think he threw out Pompeo, which I think is just in uh, in left field yeah i know it made me feel cold too it made me made my skin crawl a little bit but i I gotta tell you i think i think desantis will come back from this thing but i also think that it's not the slam dunk that i think a lot of the people around him believe that it was going to be that trump was just going to fall by the wayside and he could just sort of normalize you know sweep his way into the nomination i don't think that's going to work um, but there are some cracks in that armor. And I, I got to tell you, part of it is the fact that he is definitively a weird person. He's a very, very strange person. And we've talked about it before. Not likable. 
there's not a lot to him that really like uh, endears him to people outside of the fact that as governor, he's passed a bunch of policies that people wanted him to pass. Other than that, there's no like charisma. There's no charm. I mean, I, I would rather get, you know, kicked in the face than spend five minutes with this person. But I think what is being revealed is that when he gets outside of Florida and he gets outside of that Republican bubble in Florida, that there are some kinks to work out if this guy wants to have any chance whatsoever at national prominence. Well, and you've been on this the entire time. You've made that clear exactly what the issue is that we're now all seeing. But you're also almost to a letter describing Donald Trump. You know, unlikable, no charisma, no charm. I mean, maybe he does have charm, I guess. We're, you know, if this we're so far down, I can't remember that. But, you know, but I, will Trump- say, I will say real fast, real fast, Nick, on that point, because you brought up something good here. I actually think that what happened with Trump, it's not it wasn't just his ability to say shit that, you know, like shocked people. Right. Which DeSantis isn't necessarily going to do. He's going to be very buttoned down. Trump also is weird in a way that like is disturbing to the point of laughing at it. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the things that he would say, like, uh, her, this is the wettest hurricane we've ever seen, uh, from a standpoint of water or, you know, him, him the other day, I don't know if you saw this going after the inheritance tax and being like, you can leave it to your children or maybe you don't, if you don't love them, maybe that won't even be a problem then. Like that sort of like weird like cadence and things that he would say. I think people enjoyed that. And I don't think DeSantis has a lot of it. Does that make sense? Uh, okay. I, I can see that distinction. I mean, it's there, it's so detestable either way on both sides for yes. both these people, but, but there is a distinction. I can see that. And, uh, yeah. And even in the voice and even the, the, the whole presentation, uh, is not going to capture, you know, even the, the, the flamboyance of Trump's hair. Right. Sort of softens that a little bit. Right. Yeah. Because of that. And, and DeSantis, <laughs> I'd love to see DeSantis try that. By the way, let's not let's not put it past him. He might end up like changing his hairstyle because he's so desperate to do something to get back in the race. <laughs> I would, listen, here's the thing that I'm learning in the years that we are covering American politics and the decline of the American empire. If something is weird, there's a chance of it happening. I mean, you know what I mean? Like he could come out like like a tie that comes down to like his knees, you know, mm-hmm. and he's just like, man, I love I love hamburgers. Love them. Can't oh. get enough of hamburgers. Well, you know, what it won't be, which we, I would I would pay I would pay a lot of money if he dyed his hair blonde. <laughs> that would be the ultimate, right? They're like, I got to do something. I'm going to do my hair the same color. Like, that would be hilarious. And we'll probably in our lifetime see that in, in some sort of a, a political race. I, I really do. Like, someone will just radically change their hair to try and match the, the opponent who's, who's winning. <laughs> like a real single white female type situation. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, listen, the award winning corporate executive officer coverage that the Muckrake podcast brings you. That is something that we have to get into. Uh, Nick, we got to go. Speaking of the People's Republic of China, we got to head over there where the uh, the development uh, conference has been hanging out. Um, not a lot of American CEOs have been going over there because, by the way, I don't know if you're keeping track. There is a burgeoning new Cold War that is starting to, to grow by the day. But one of the people who went over there, it's important to point out Tim Cook of Apple. And Timmy Boy not only went over to China to uh, participate in this forum, but has nothing but good things to say about China, uh, went over there and just absolutely kissed their asses. 
There's a lot to unpack here, but Nick, what do you make of the CEO of Apple going to China and kissing their ass when most every other uh, CEO is absolutely uh, staying away? Oh, I mean, he, he, this is a business decision. He, they, they're feeling that they were reeling over the inability to pr- produce enough iPhones during COVID. And now that they're finally loosening it up, they have, you have to do this is what you do. You, you, you pay your respect to this, this, uh, country so that they'll let you, you know, mine, uh, what, the, what you need from them and, uh, and exploit their citizens for cheap yep. labor. I mean, that's what you have to do. And that these, I mean, as far as his uh, fiduciary duty to the stockholders, like this is what you kind of have to do, and it's disgusting. And um, it it is remarkable we don't have a lot more of a parade of of CEOs doing this because they all rely on on China like they do. Um, But, uh, yeah, you will not hear one thing from him about any kind of uh, human rights violations or any other issues that, uh, that they should be handling and that Apple should be punishing China for. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I want to go ahead and set the table here. In the age of neoliberal globalism, um, nation states pale in comparison to corporations. I've talked about this. You know, corporations like to hang out and sort of let the nation states do their thing, while meanwhile, they sort of eclipse them in terms of power and scope. These corporations don't care about nations. They don't care about, you know, patriotism and loyalty. That's a, there's a reason they don't pay taxes. They're not interested in participating in the nation state game. So as a result, each of these corporations and CEOs are going to have to make a choice in a burgeoning Cold War. And Tim Cook is already signaling something. And they have incredible ties to China. Cook and the other people at Apple have just, anytime China said jump, they've said how high. They've gone, they've censored the internet. They've censored the phones. They've created these firewalls for them. Um, Right now, Cook is in the middle of a six-year, $275 billion. That's more than a quarter of a trillion dollar deal with the People's Republic of China. Uh, That, by the way, goes until 2026. Hopefully, we can stave off World War III until then. You are going to see going forward these corporations making a choice because as globalism starts to wind down and as this Cold War gets pretty bad, you're going to see more and more of these people having to pick sides. And Tim Cook is getting out ahead of a lot of the other CEOs and a lot of the other corporations who are going to pick their teams at some point. And this is nothing new. I mean, we're all about efficiency, right? We're all about studying methods and improving them. Well, is it safe to say that the United States itself is the most powerful country on the planet and probably ever because it was founded on slavery. Is that a fair enough assessment? Is that, did that I would, boost the economy? I would go so far as to say that that is one of the principal foundations of why America not only uh, got off to its financial start, but its political start, uh, start in terms of its power. And by the way, that we are still circulating money and power that was started within the age of slavery. Yes, absolutely. Right. And so what happens is as you're looking at the the model, uh, the, the economic model of slavery, you realize, you know, we're spending an awful lot of money bringing slaves over here to do all this free work. And wouldn't it be a lot better if we kept them where they started and just have them work there and then ship the goods over? That would probably make a lot more money, wouldn't it? And that's what we did. That's all we did. We didn't really necessarily abolish slavery necessarily because you don't see it here. We just sort of made it where, you know, in other countries of origin. So China now it becomes the place where they basically have slaves and they basically work for almost nothing and they're forced to do that. And we reap the benefits financially, um, you know, uh, 
where in a way that we would never be able to do it in, in any other way. And that's that's where we are without any care of, of what human rights are. And uh, it, it, it's not surprising that then it bleeds back over here with the yep. way we treat our workers in, in the similar, um, you know, uh, the hierarchy of the of the of the of the of our economy. So it's um, it's disgusting is really what it is. And uh, but hold on, my iPhone's ringing, Jared. I, can you give me a second to take that? I Wait, mean, I've got mine too. I gotta, I gotta do that, you know. And and by the way, you you absolutely nailed it. You could not express neoliberal globalism better than that. Except for, I want to add one thing, Nick, which is now because it's not abject slavery, what you can do is get together with your wealthy pals and say, we're giving them so many opportunities to lift themselves up out of poverty. And listen, I know we're not paying them very much, but it's better than what they would get otherwise. And part of the problem in all of this and why we have reached the moment that we have is that China made it a political strategy to use this against us. They said, we have a lot of people that we're willing to make work like that. And by the way, we're willing to make ourselves an integral part of that global system. And guess what happened? They went ahead and they became the first competitor since the Soviet Union. Like that system that you're talking about, which is as morally and ethically bankrupt. And and, and, and by the way, is just one of the worst brutal systems that has ever been devised. It is the thing that these people want to pat themselves on the back for. But a time of choosing is coming. And Tim Cook and Apple are making their choices out in the open. Speaking of. Oh, I have one more point. You know, the the original company that was, you know, uh, dragged over the coals for this would be Nike because they were having their shoes made by basically slaves in China. And you won't hear Nike ever. You're not going to see Phil Knight or whoever the CEO now is, you know, go there and do what Tim Cook just did. Uh, They're smart enough to know that they they don't want to bring any extra attention to that when it comes up. They kind of just sort of ignore it. Uh, Had you been to a, a local multiplex recently to see a movie? Because you'll see a uh, preview of a new movie coming out starring Ben Affleck and uh, and Matt, Matt Damon uh, about Nike, about the origins, the propaganda of how they found Michael Jordan and how they built this empire. No. And you know they're not going to have one iota of no. a mention of anything about what how, how they were no. able to really build this, this uh, company into what it is now. And uh, I'm going to probably go see it and, and maybe even enjoy it. Well, first of all, that movie looks terrible. I'm sorry, but that is like one of the worst. That's one of the worst trailers I've seen in a very, very long time. But second of all, Nick, how could you say that about Nike? They signed Colin Kaepernick as a as a spokesperson for the company. Like I, I thought they were woke. Oh wait, that's right, because they do all that to camouflage themselves in order to make people not think about how they actually make the money. By the way, speaking of that. We have to talk about uh, Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz, one of the biggest rat bastards in corporate America, by the way. Um, I, I don't know if people have been following this. He uh, he, he got called to Congress to testify in front of a, a, a labor board. Uh, by the way, uh, Bernie Sanders made sure that that was going to happen. Weirdly enough, Howard Schultz has resigned earlier than his target date. We're not sure if he's going to go up in front of this labor board, but I also want to go ahead and say, man, I hope your retirement sucks, man one of the most anti-labor people. And he just, by the way, made money completely off of just burning coffee beans. That's not the former barista in me talking about it, but just an absolute fast foodification of a certain sector of the country. He has been lauded to the moon. People wanted him to be the president of the United States for forever. He is engaged in one anti-labor action after another. I hope your retirement sucks, you rat bastard coward. 
I'm sure in his mind, he's just making sure that the uh, workers don't, you know, talk too much amongst themselves and while That's they're working right. and waste too much time. That's you know, right. that I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty remarkable how consistent this guy has been at union busting uh, an industry that so desperately needs it. Uh, for any kind of representation for the workers. Uh, and you know that, you know, Amazon's looking at this and there are all, all these other big companies that have a lot of workers uh, are petrified that the workers might actually have some power and some collective bargaining. So um, it is disgusting. And then it's so blatant. It's almost like when Bill Barr quit a couple you know weeks before January 6th, you know, as if he just wanted to spend some more time with his kids, right? We know what that was about now. And this is the same thing here. He doesn't want to have to testify. It's ridiculous. Uh, and look like a bad guy, but he is. I hope he burns his tongue on a shitty cup of coffee, is what I hope. Let's go talk to Moses. What do you say? All right, let's bring him in. Okay, everybody, we now uh, have my son Moses Hauselman in uh, in the studio to discuss a little bit about uh, cultural Marxism. I kind of challenge him to see how we can maybe connect that to what the GOP is doing now. But Moses, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, so I've come here because cultural Marxism has become a really big talking point for the uh, for the GOP and the Republican Party and conservatism in America in general. So I thought, like, why don't we really look? They just kind of say it without explaining it. What is cultural Marxism? Um, so just to give a bit of like a preview, cultural Marxism talking point made by the GOP um, is uh, the general belief that some people are are of Marxist belief are trying to subvert Western culture uh, by controlling like big business, Hollywood. It's actually very similar to many anti-Semitic tropes that you might hear. And that is because it is kind of an evolution of a Nazi... Uh, a Nazi... Ideology? A Nazi, a Nazi like, philosophy known as cultural Bolshevism which is the idea that the German society was being, you know, threatened by the Jews, these, you know, communist Soviet Russian Jews and all these other undesirable people. Um, and then that was just kind of adapted to the uh, modern day uh, by. Um, name. Oh, no, worries. well, so, but now you're, so you're seeing the, the GOP, the, the, uh, the Republicans, kind of use some of these sort of tropes or these some of these uh, methods to try and keep their people in line. Is that is that what you feel like? I don't know if it's to keep them in line, but it's definitely to appeal to fear, right? Like, if I this a quick excerpt of Ted Cruz, a prominent Republican. He talks about how in his book, he's like, oh, these woke people have taken over our society. Uh, you know, they are like, you know, a takeover of our education, of big business, media, Hollywood, in a book that he made. Um, and I mean, then I was like, this sounds really familiar. I looked it up and it's like the exact same thing. If you just look up generic anti-Semitic tropes, it'll be like controls the media, controls big business, controls like, you know, all of these different stuff. And I'm like, you can, it's so obvious the parallel between this and just so such basic anti-Semitic things. Yeah, and I mean, that's actually what I found in my research, too, which is it's kind of shocking because they they sort of have done this thing over and over and over again, but they keep rebranding it, right? Because, you know, it's like after, of course, we move past Nazism, you can't just openly say, you know, the Jews are controlling us, except for unless you're Kanye West and, and Nick Fuentes, right? But they just keep sort of 
putting out this like um, generic other. And sometimes it's George Soros, who is, of course, a Hungarian Jew. Or, you know, it's the, the elites in Hollywood, which has always been a code word for it. And it's happened in America, too. It's funny enough, uh, Moses, they used to say that it was like they're controlling baseball and jazz is meant to like overthrow like cultural ideas. And they're going after the genders and they're going after women and all this. But it absolutely is. You couldn't be more right. It is a continual redressing of the same story over and over again. And the the it, they have created this idea that wokeism is just another easy way of not saying Jews, right? Jews and people of color who are working together. And they, they have just like basically workshopped that until they can do exactly what you're talking about. You couldn't be more right. Yeah. I mean, even I, it's in so many facets of reality. The Soviet Union and communist Russia, you see rootless like cosmopolitanite. Yep. Just like this thing. We are just saying the Jews who control things, but you can't openly say that. Where, where, how did you get turned on to this, uh, this ideology and, and made aware of it? I mean, like, I couldn't, it's hard to escape. You look at anything where Republicans are talking, any kind of, you know, extreme, not extreme, they're always just uh, harping on this thing, like, they're cultural Marxists, because it's evoking this thing. Communists are taking things over, kind of like this Cold War scare. And I was like, well, what is this actually? And I, you know, I watched a couple of like video documentaries, which kind of mentioned the subject. And I was like, okay, like, let's go in depth. What is this? Cause this seems like a big deal to a lot of people. So it's good to know what it is. And then I just stumbled upon just such a large, just like for it's something I wanted to mention, like, for example, a, a terrorist attack in Norway by this guy who is like, I'm defending against cultural Marxism killed 77 people. And it's like this type of ideology is being used for terrorist attacks as well as just trying to discriminate against people or not needing to talk about who you're discriminating against. Yeah. And the idea behind like white replacement theory, which is what happened there, the idea that there is a, an, an, an amazing turn of events is the anti-Semitic trope is now being used to claim that there's a genocide against white people. But it's, of course, like an anti-Semitic trope, right, that goes ahead and usually discounts the idea of the Holocaust anyway. But that idea of white replacement, if you in Tucker Carlson, Nick, we covered this before. When Tucker Carlson talks about it, he says it explicitly that it's a plan, right, that it's not demographic shifting, that there's a plan that's happening. And what is always pointed to is, is that in. It's the idea that this genocide is going to happen unless somebody does something about it. And if you say there's a plan, if you say that there's this conspiracy, then that legitimizes violence. It legitimizes oppression. It does everything right. It, it's just a story that goes ahead and, and pushes this stuff forward. But that, that's exactly how it's done. From your perspective, Moses, what do you think uh, is so alluring about this ideology that makes people want to you know, go to rallies and scream and yell and, and glee about it? Uh, I mean, there, each emotion is either a motivator or a demotivator, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're sad. I don't want to do anything. I want to sit back. I just don't want to do anything. But anger and fear, I'm scared. I got to do something. I'm angry. I want to do something. Like, if you're angry at someone, you're not like, well, whatever. You're like, I want to punch this guy in the face. It's the same type of thing. They're scared because all these people are saying they're evoking this stuff because they were being scared from their from their childhood um, with, the, with the Cold War and, like, the Red Scare. They're saying, oh... 
you know, communists are trying to take over. Now they're like, it's back. Everybody like hunger down. Like the, all these people are communists and they're trying to take over everything. And now they're like, well, I have to do something. Like I can't just sit here. I'm scared. I'm angry. I want to get this out some way. So they'll go to rallies. They'll scream in people's faces. Cause they're like, even if it's not good, it's what I have to do. Have you, have you been face to face with people uh, of that, of that elk in your young years? Um, a little bit. I usually, you know, don't want to go there with with people if they are very much disagreeing because sometimes they will start yelling and it's just a whole thing. I mean, I've seen plenty of people online who are very open about the fact they're like, yeah, no, Holocaust didn't happen or like, yeah, you know, all this, this and that. And it's just like I it's crazy, but it's also it's so easy to for anybody, no matter even if it's the correct to be sucked into this idea that I've been told this, there's just literally nothing that can change my mind on this. And that goes for everybody. There's everybody, everybody has something that might be wrong, but they just don't want to admit. Moses, real fast for, before we get out of here, what, from your perspective, and you're still a couple of years away from, from voting yourself, what do you see happening like as, as these things keep playing out? What's, you, what's your, your viewpoint on where America is and where it's heading? I mean, America is very obviously becoming more polarized, more radical. Um, you know, we saw with the recent 2020 election how like the Democrats are like the this are you know the dominant force, and it's like this whole two-party thing. I mean, I can't see it going anywhere else besides a eventual big shift in politics as we know it between instead of like conservatives and liberals, it's like socialists with like Bernie Sanders or in like nationalists with Trump, and it's like just more and more and more. I or just a complete rework of how we model our our, our democracy because I don't see it just kind of going in the same way where we either are going to have two parties that are close enough together, liberals and conservatives, or just that same system continuing with how things are going. It's it's just not built uh, to last. One of the founding fathers even said that he advocated for. I think it was every 14 years we should change, rewrite the entire constitution because it's just, it's not going to work forever. Mm, wow. And then by I, the way, I love you, it whenever you, Jefferson gets brought up at the end of a podcast, I'll say that. <laughs> and then do you, do you, do you feel like there are, it's more uh, for your people, your age, do you feel like they're more engaged with this kind of subject matter? Yes. Um, I mean, some people don't really care, but it's hard to find anybody who's like in their like mid teens who doesn't have some sort of political opinion. And if you, you know, you usually will find it to be quite extreme. Uh, you know, you can, you'll see a lot of like super far left, super far right. And because they'll just see something, they'll be like, okay, this is fine. And they might not do any more investigation. They might just say, this is all that I need for me. And I think that's just a general problem. But yeah, it's definitely a very, my generation is very politically charged. Awesome. Well, thank you, Moses. I, I got to tell you, this was a real treat. I've been, I've been wanting to hear your, your opinions for a while now. That was awesome. Good, good kid you got there, Nick. <laughs> I Why, do. Thank you. You got yeah. good friends. <laughs> That's right. We're all, yeah, everyone's great. Everyone's, I'm, what, a, what a nice confluence of, uh, of uh, connections and relationships. It all works out very well. 
Uh, yeah. We'll have to do this again. Thank you so much. And uh, a reminder, go over to patreon.com slash podcast. Support the show. It keeps us ad-free, editorially independent. The reason why we're able to have conversations like this in the first place. If you need us before Friday for the weekender episode, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Saxton. Hey, stay safe, everyone.